Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. As you can see, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, It's reaching the point where I keep saying I, I never thought I'd see the day. And that keeps becoming a constant theme that I'm seeing prophetically. And there's no doubt we're seeing a lot. And I, I think today when we, we look at the text we're going to be in, we're in Exodus chapter 11. We're going to look at 1 through 10. I think it's apropos for us because, as I've mentioned, the plagues that come upon Egypt point forward to eventually the global plagues that will hit the whole world in the tribulation. And so what we're seeing is a microcosm in Egypt of what's eventually going to happen. And what you see here, and this is the theme, is Moses, in this text, is going to get very upset. He's very angry. And it's because of Pharaoh's stubborn heart and how Pharaoh just keeps going headlong into the ditch. And this is the last plague. And he's warning Pharaoh, but Pharaoh just seems to continue to resist And Moses warns, walks away from the situation, very angry, it says in the text, as you'll see. And I thought, man, that is apropos for us. I am watching things in our culture that are making me very angry. I'm not talking about just anger over stupid things. I'm talking about a righteous indignation where, you know, you see California pass a law allowing, you know, basically this first step towards pedophilia. And Governor Newsom, Pharaoh Newsom signed that into order. And you're seeing things that you just couldn't believe would be happening in your country. And there's points in the week that I have to just simply unplug from the news because it gets overwhelming. I I get so angry about it that I cannot believe I'm seeing the destruction of a country and the attack on Christianity. And I know many of you probably feel the same way because you voiced that to me, that you're getting upset, you're getting angry about things. And a lot of times we don't know how to process that. We know prophetically how things are supposed to go, how things end before, you know, uh, before the tribulation starts, which basically is all hell that breaks loose on earth. But most of us thought we wouldn't be here to see at least the stair-stepping of that. We'd be gone by now. But apparently, we're going to see a lot of the stair-stepping. I mean, the rapture could happen tonight, no doubt about that. But it appears that we're seeing a lot of the stair-stepping prior to the Great Tribulation. And that means... You're going to see a lot of things you don't like. A lot of things with his vaccinations and moving to a digital currency and all this other stuff. It's going to make you very angry because you know what's going to happen. You're going to lose rights that you had. Your way of life will be impeded by people like Newsom and mayors of towns and stuff like that. And I find it ironic that uh, certain people, these elites who want to tell us what to do, The funny thing about them, they don't practice the same thing because they're telling the churches we can't meet. So a lot of these churches just shut down. We're underground right now, but we're meeting. But it's funny that Nancy Pelosi not only was caught at a hair salon, but she was caught attending mass in California, which they're not supposed to be open, right? They're not supposed to be open. They're supposed to be in a shutdown. She's telling all of us not to go to church. How hypocritical can these people be? But it is the times we live in. And it's very frustrating, no doubt about that. So what I want to take away from when we we study this is what Moses 
is doing and how he's handling it. And that'll be our application. So let's dive into the text. This will be the last plague, the last announcement. We're going to spend a lot of time on this last plague because it's the Passover. It's where the Passover comes from, which we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today that derived out of that. So um, this is Pharaoh's warning. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Now, here's what you have to understand the background. Pharaoh has been given chances after chances after chances to repent, to stop this, to let Israel go. But he keeps holding them back, hardening his heart, and he keeps resisting this. To the point now where this plague that's going to come is going to introduce death into Israel. It's come to that point in time, and that's why I've entitled this message, When the Line is Crossed, because Pharaoh has crossed the line now. And people can get that way. A country, a culture can get that way where they cross a line and they never come back from. And we're seeing these lines get it crossed. Do you think we're ever going to be able to put back the evil in the box that's out there now? We're not going back. You think we're ever going to redeem the school systems and the colleges and the universities? No. Do you ever think we're going to redeem politics in America, the way it's being played and George Soros funded? No. It's been corrupted. And what did Jesus say about when leaven is introduced into the loaf? It will leaven the entire loaf. The leaven in America was introduced about 50 years ago. You can go even further back than that. But 50 years is a good time frame when all this stuff started getting put into our culture. And now we're seeing the fruit of that come to fruition. And it's really scary what's happening. No morals anymore. Anything goes, that type of stuff. Well, folks, we're going to places where you cross lines and you don't come back from when that. And that means the only thing left after that is judgment. God's mercy and grace can be extended for a very long time, but after it's been rejected so many times, he says enough is enough. So now he introduces the death plague that's going to hit the Egyptians. And we're going to enter into that, and it's going to make you feel the same way that Moses felt that you're feeling about today. Verse 2 says this, Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man, of, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So here's the interesting thing that starts happening. God told them that when you leave, the Egyptians are just going to turn over their wealth to you. They're going to give you things on the way out. Now that was predicted and it was told to Father Abraham 400 and something years before this all happened that your people are going to be afflicted, but when they leave the affliction, they're going to be able to get the material possessions of those who afflicted them. And that's now coming true. Now, the thing about that is, this is called the law of compensation. Now, what's happened is, the Egyptians have been making money on the backs of the Hebrew slaves and not paying them because they're slaves. So they have become enriched by the Jews. Therefore, God is turning the table saying, you owe them pay for what labor they did 
and you're going to pay them on the way out. And that's what this reversal of fortunes is happening. These are basically the debts of the Egyptians that they owe to the Jews. And so the Jews are going to get compensated for that. Make no mistake, when people mess with God's people or the church or Israel, whatever it is, you will end up paying a very high cost when you try to persecute either Israel or the church. It always will come back and you will pay a heavy price. But let me talk about this favor thing. This is a principle in Scripture. Favor means that because of God's activities that he has done in the life of whether it's Egypt or your life or whoever's life, that it predisposes the people to be kind to you and to help you. And that's what he's done with the Egyptians. Even though Pharaoh's out of his mind and crazy, the Egyptians even understand, look, we're going to all die if we don't help these people out. And, you know, we got to do something. And so they're now predisposed by seeing all the other plagues to help Israel out, and they're going to give them these material possessions for them. These material possessions will be used by Israel to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and eventually survive for 40 years out in the desert. But nonetheless, favor is a big deal. And most people think it's luck. They'll call it, oh, I got lucky. Somebody will be nice to you for no apparent reason that you know. Someone that is predisposed to help you. It's weird. But it's not luck. It's called favor. And God has given you favor in order to accomplish something through you. So that person allows you to do something or whatever it is. And you have to be looking for that because it is a real principle. I'll tell you a little story about our favor that we've had with the church just recently that I realized. And at the end of this, we got to do a talk and a vote about acquiring more land that became available to us. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But the property we are on that we're going to build our church on here in about a year and a half, we'll have our place. It's an interesting story about the property that I didn't become aware of until recently. Now, the lady who sold us the property is a Christian lady, and she wanted it to go to a Christian organization like a church or whatnot. She's great. She's a wonderful person. But she ended up telling us a story about her property that she sold to us. And it resonated, I think, with us because it's favor. She encountered a situation years and years ago. I mean, going way, way back. And she was on her property and she drove out and she was going along Snow Road. And there was this teenage girl, apparently, that was uh, just looked messed up, man. She needed help. She had been throttled, man, just put through the ringer. She's walking down Snow Road, and she obviously looked like she needed help. So the owner of that property stopped and asked the girl, hey, do you need help? She says, yes, I need help. And she got in the car and started explaining that she had been abducted by this guy who had basically kidnapped her and held her hostage for, for I don't know how many weeks or whatever, and then brought her to Bakersfield and then put her in a storage shed and held her captive. And she goes, oh, wow, it's terrible. We've got to get you some help. So she goes, I'll take you home, and then we'll call the authorities and and do whatever we need to do. So anyway, she picked her up, and she turned back on Snow to go back to her property, which is now our property. And the girl says, what are you doing? She started freaking out. She says, what are you doing? What are you taking me to this place here? What are you taking me to this house and stuff? She goes, well, I live here. 
And she goes, well, I was in that shed. There was some type of shed in the back on the property that the guy had put her in on the property and was holding her hostage in that shed. The owner didn't even know because the property is six acres, obviously. And she had been there, I guess, for a day or two or whatnot. And she goes, that's where the guy had me. And she goes, look, everything's safe. There's nothing there anymore. I'm the owner of the property, and we're going to take care of you, and we're going to get your life back in order. And she did, and they got the proper authorities involved, and the girl basically was rescued because she had escaped from this shed on the property. Well, that story happened right... That's the property we bought. And the owner told us that God impressed on her that when that happened, and she went through that ordeal to help that kidnapped girl out, that God impressed on her that this property is supposed to be used to save lives. She obviously thought it referred to that situation, but in the back of her head, that property was supposed to be used to save lives. So when we came and found that property for sale, and we offered to purchase that, That was in her head already. And it clicked. And she said, that's what he meant by that. That a church would someday come and buy my property in order to save spiritual lives. Isn't that amazing? And and when you put that all together, that's called divine favor. So when you see it, don't say, hey, we were lucky. Oh, no. That was the hand of God right there. And that's the same thing that happened to the Israelites during that period of time for the wealth of Egypt to go with them. Amazing, amazing principle. Verse 4. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. Now, notice the phrase there that the Lord Yahweh is saying, I'm going to go out. He personally will go there and visit the Egyptians. Whereas before, he can leave secondary agents to do that like angels or or whatever he wants to do and command those things from heaven. He leaves heaven to go into the alleyways and the walkways of the Egyptians, into their cities and towns, and he personally will do this. This obviously... um, Anytime there's any activity by the Lord, it is always a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who executes that because he is the captain of the Lord's army and he's usually the one who does it. So what we're talking about is the second person of the Trinity doing this. When you see phrases like that where it's God himself doing it, that's when you know it's really bad. And that's how the tribulation will be. It's actually the wrath of the Lamb Jesus himself is pouring direct wrath on the world in the future. And when you see God doing that directly, then you know it's really, really reached a level to where he intervenes. And notice what he's going to do. He's going to go out at midnight. Midnight to the ancient world was the middle of the night because they went to bed like at 6 or 7 in the evening and woke up at sunrise. And so midnight for them was a very scary time. It's a a time of vulnerability, and they are defenseless at night. That's what makes it so scary. Now, it's interesting as you're watching our society go, what will start happening is things will occur in our culture 
where it leaves people defenseless. They're very vulnerable. There's a reason behind that. When God strikes, he strikes when they are defenseless. And so when God's going to do that in tribulation, what you'll notice is that same theme gets carrying out where the people are defenseless. Let me make a, a, just a sidebar about this. Judgment is happening to America. There's no doubt about that. And you're seeing these mobs just go crazy and these governors and people not doing anything about it, these mayors not doing anything about it. Like the prophecy said, we've seen more destruction of property in all of U.S. history. It's in the billions now because of these crazy mobs. Now we know are funded by George Soros, by the way. All funded by him, put up in hotels, 15 bucks an hour. I want you to think about this. This is, this is called given over to something, Romans 1. The same time you are seeing mobs loot and destroy cities and places, at the same time, these elitists want to take away American guns, which will leave you what? Defenseless. Do not think that God is not letting this happen for a reason. He's putting people in a defenseless situation, not because he wants to harm them. It's because he wants to get their attention. I'm trying to wake you up. If you, see, if you are secure in yourself and you're secure and you can make it, you got the money, you got the defenses, then you, you won't trust in the Lord. You will trust in your own resources. And so a lot of times God will put people in defenseless positions to make them look up for help, to make them get the attention, uh, get uh, the Lord's attention by appealing to Him. And so you're seeing these principles where you're getting defenseless. What if they do another run on the, the banks or the, the food? What will happen? People are put in a vulnerable state. He's trying to wake people up because of that, right? Verse 5. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of, the, of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Notice that it's targeting the firstborn. There's a reason for that. There's two reasons. The first reason is, is what Moses told Pharaoh as a warning. And Pharaoh apparently didn't listen. God told Pharaoh through Moses, if you continue to do this to my people, the Hebrews, they are my firstborn. The Jewish nation is considered God's firstborn because he birthed them. He made them into a nation. They're considered God's firstborn. Okay, that being the case, what God is saying is, if you mess with my firstborn, I will come after your firstborn. It's called the law of compensation. It's called the law of retribution. And it's called the law of the harvest. Or the law of compensation, I should say. Uh, Sam, would you flash that on the screen real quick? The law of the harvest is a deadly principle. Basically, it's summed up in Galatians 6-7. And it says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The point of that passage is this. No one gets away with anything. No one. 
whether in this life, and if you don't pay any price in this life, that means he's holding that for the next one. Think about this, folks. This law that you see, the law of the harvest, the law of the harvest, you must understand it in terms of judgment. Because you and I are watching and we're thinking, hey, how come these elitists are getting away with things and nothing ever happens to them? They just keep going and doing all these crazy evil things. How come God doesn't stop them? It's the law of the harvest. Think about it in an agrarian culture. When you planted a seed in the spring, when did its fruit come? The fall. So in judgment, what God is trying to teach us from an agrarian metaphor is once they plant the seeds, I allow it to grow. I allow it to come to fruition. I allow it to go through spring and then summer and then eventually it comes to harvest and then that's when judgment happens. The time period that is allowed, according to, according to Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, is to give the person a time to repent. So the law of the harvest allows someone to repent, but guess what? When picking starts happening, the grace and mercy is gone, and therefore the judgment follows in the fall. And that's what's going to happen. Think about this. We just recently lost, in our Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The woman opposed to everything that the Bible, Christianity, stands for. Everything. And I know they're applauding her, saying what a great lady she was, and this and that. And I want to tell you, because she opposed God, she was an enemy of the cross. And that's the truth. She was a Jewish woman who rejected her own Jewish Messiah. And now, she is reaping what she sowed. I don't wish that on anybody. I don't wish the main light of her death. But that's the truth. She rejected her own Messiah, opposed everything the Messiah stood for, everything his word said, and now she meets her Messiah. I wonder how that conversation went. The second thing I want you to point, uh, point out that's happening here to Egypt is what we call the boomerang principle. I label it the boomerang principle. You can call this the law of retribution or whatever you want to call it. But I like the term boomerang because it explains how what you give out eventually boomerangs back to you and then what you gave out is given back to you. So Egypt attacks the firstborn. Now God's attacking their firstborn. And they could have repented. They could have got out of the boomerang effect. To get out of all of these is simply repent. That's how you get out of them. But the boomerang follows you. Look at Matthew 7, 2, and you'll see a glimpse of the boomerang effect when Jesus was talking about the category of judgment. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, what he was talking to is the Pharisees, and they were using unrighteous judgments. He's not talking about real judgments. He's talking about unrighteous judgments. Like the Pharisees would make a judgment and say things like this. Tax collectors and prostitutes cannot be saved or Gentiles can't be saved. Now, that was a unbiblical judgment and he would, they were using that measure on the Gentiles and tax collectors and prostitutes. Okay, that wasn't in the scriptures. That's the stuff they made up. So Jesus is telling them, look, the unjust judgment that you're using is eventually going to be used on you. The evil you're doing 
is going to consume you one day. And that's a very scary principle. That's what's happening to the Egyptians. But even in our own lives, what you'll notice is that, like, even in the stuff I dished out when I was a teenager, I find that it comes back to me as an adult, and I'm thinking, they're doing to me what I did to others. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It, 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 like, it puts you in a state of shock when it comes back around. And it might take 10, 20, even 30 years for that to boomerang back, but it does boomerang. And the stuff you and I dish out, you will get back. Now, in terms of mercy, Jesus uses another example of mercy in this instance. Let me show you the passage, Matthew 5, 7. It says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the Beatitudes. But I want you to think about this. When he says that, he's saying to, talking to believers that if you're merciful, you will be showed mercy. Not only by other people, but eventually at the judgment seat of the Messiah. What do you mean by that? The mercy you and I show to people or withhold, it's your choice whether you withhold it or give mercy. But please remember... How you gave out mercy or withheld it will be what Jesus uses for you at the judgment seat. That's pretty scary. Because he's going to say to us, I'm going to use your measure of mercy right now as I judge your life. Now again, this is not for salvation. This is for rewards. But he will say, Brandon, here's the level of your mercy. I'm going to use that in your rewards aspect. Let me use that. So you're unmerciful here, I'm going to be unmerciful here. And he'll, it's just, you can't get away from that law. It will actually be used against you. That's why it's important, at least in that category, to be merciful to people, right? The other aspect I want to bring out about the firstborn. In Egypt, the firstborns were sacred. Sacred. I mean, put on a God level. Like, if you go to different parts of our world, they still do this in certain places, China, India, different places like that, they will make their firstborn like the golden child, and everyone else comes second to that golden child. And they, they had a religious aspect to it, so he's attacking that, that notion there. But I want to add one more thing to this. This is amazing. It's a spiritual lesson. What you'll see in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis is that God will always take the secondborn over the firstborn. Have you noticed that pattern? It's weird. So, for instance, like, even in, in a situation where the 12 brothers, he takes the, uh, the youngest born, because Benjamin hadn't been birthed, and takes Joseph over Reuben. And then you get down to, even with Abraham, with his two boys, he had Ishmael, and he had Isaac. God picks Isaac as a secondborn. Then you go to Jacob and Esau. Esau's a firstborn. Jacob is a secondborn. Takes the secondborn. Why does that pattern keep coming up? Now, there's no doubt in those situations, the firstborns were knuckleheads, okay? They were just goofy, man. And so obviously they didn't want to be used by God, so God's not going to use them, and so he'll go to the secondborn. But don't miss this lesson. He is communicating a spiritual lesson. Just because you're born one time doesn't make you saved. You have to be born again 
a second time in order to receive life. So the rejection of the firstborn is God telling you and I, I don't accept your firstborn because your firstborn because you're born in sin. You must have faith and be born again in the Messiah. Right? That's how it works. And so you'll see these themes being carried through. It's amazing what God does. Let's continue on. Verse 6. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, notice this cry is, again, more of the law of the harvest, the boomerang principle, because the Egyptians had made Israel wail and cry out to the Lord because of their affliction. Guess who now is crying? They were laughing, now they're crying. And so the Egyptians will be crying because of the death that will ensue. Now, I want you to think about this. Very clear, as you'll see later on when we study it, that God takes the firstborn's life in the night while they're sleeping. It's the most merciful death that someone could undergo to die in their sleep. That's what I'm hoping happens to me if the rapture doesn't happen. Just die in my sleep so I don't have to go through all that stuff, right? Go to sleep and then I wake up in heaven. That'd be great, right? And it's like, you know, or we're raptured. Those are probably the best options. So anyway, I do digress. So God takes the Egyptians in a very merciful manner. He takes them in their sleep. Why they're sleep? No pain, no suffering. He just removes their soul from their body and takes them. Simple. No wailing from the person. So that's an act of mercy. So the people who are wailing are those who lost their firstborn, if that makes sense. Okay? And so God's being very just and very merciful even in this. But he's trying still to get the Egyptians' attention with pain. Pain of grief over loss. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know what does. Pain from losing somebody should wake people up. So if you're a believer, it should wake you up to a new spiritual vitality that I need to go beyond where I'm at. I need to continue to grow to be more like Christ. But if you're an unbeliever, the pain of loss should wake you up and say, I need to go to the one who has life. I need the one who has the answers for this because I'm watching family members die right in front of me. People committing suicides and things of that nature. What's the answer to this? Well, it's Jesus, obviously. So pain many times is used for redemptive purposes by God. He doesn't cause pain for in vain, just to cause pain. He causes pain for redemptive reasons. And what you'll see, when the, Egyptian, uh, sorry, when the Israelites leave in the Exodus, guess who's also going with them? A group of Egyptians with them that woke up to the pain. So that's what it was about. Verse 6. Such as was not like it before, nor shall it, uh, nor shall it be uh, like it again. That's the principle that we talked about of unprecedented. It's an unprecedented principle. Weird things are happening that are unprecedented. And that's what we all see. And like, Brandon, you keep repeating yourself. Well, here's the deal. The Scriptures keeps repeating about this unprecedented principle. It is a principle you and I must be aware of. When you see things that never have happened before, that's a sign. That's God speaking to a culture. When you see California legalize pedophilia, that's unprecedented. When you see the shutdown of our society, that's unprecedented. 
When you see this, these vaccines that are eventually going to come and, and perhaps force you to take them and let, or you can't work or can't go to school, that's unprecedented. He's getting our attention. Now I'm seeing more and more companies, they don't want to use money. I've told you that before, but I'm seeing it even this week. Digital currency, unprecedented. Verse 7. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue. Now that's a Hebrew idiom. That's a way of saying that the, even the dogs in, that are running through Israel's area will not even bark at them or threaten to show their teeth. It's the idea that they are perfectly safe during this period of time. And we'll see how they're going to be made safe through the Passover. Um, but against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does not make a that does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And that's a very important factor, and I keep reiterating it, and the Scriptures keep reiterating it. Understand, folks, going forward, and, and I'm trying to prepare you for what's coming, because these signs that people put in front of the yard, everything's going to be okay, they're crazy. It's not going to be okay. We're entering into a new world order. We're in the last days. Things will not be okay. It's going to get pretty crazy. And my job is to prepare you. Okay. So understanding this separation is vital. It's vital for you not to freak out. So Israel's separated. They're protected from the judgments of God. So going forward, however long we have until the rapture takes us, we are protected from God's judgments. That has to be that way because Christ took our penalty and took that wrath. So no wrath will ever come upon you, ever. You're safe from that. Amen. So the this, this thing you have to think about then is this. The wrath of man. The wrath of man. Okay. The wrath of man is... You're not protected per se, but what can help that is your obedience to the Lord in the wrath of man. So if you act crazy and go out of control and get crazy in your behavior, you're going to get a lot of wrath of man. But if you're obedient and you do what you're supposed to do according to the Lord, it actually protects you even though you still might get some wrath. And let me explain this to you. Let me give you an example of what's going to happen in the future to Israel. In the tribulation, a remnant of Jews will get saved and come to faith in the Messiah. Okay? That remnant will be there in Israel, in Jerusalem, and then what will happen is at the midpoint of the tribulation, Antichrist goes in there and causes in the temple the desolation or the abomination that causes desolation. He will go in the, temp, the Jewish temple, proclaim himself to be God, and desecrate it. What did Jesus tell the Jewish remnant in the Olivet Discourse? When you see the abomination of desolation, flee into the wilderness. Okay? That's what their command is supposed to do. Go to the wilderness. Now we know, according to the scriptures, that half of that remnant, if you want to say, goes to Petra and hides out in Petra, and they are safe and secure in Petra for three and a half years from the Antichrist. For some reason, the other half of the remnant of Israel stays in Jerusalem and doesn't go out and get into Petra. So they stay in Jerusalem, and guess what happens? They are a remnant. The wrath of the Antichrist comes upon them and attacks the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is sieged. 
the Antichrist armies go in there, they rape the Jewish women, they divide the spoils, and they enslave many of the Jewish people at that time. And basically, it's house-to-house fighting throughout that last three and a half years in Jerusalem with the remnant of Israel. But guess what? The other remnant that listened to the Lord and went out into the desert and found their place in Petra are provided for with water and manna, and they're provided for three and a half years and protected by the Lord. Now, question. Both are remnants, right? But who's getting the worst of the wrath of man? The ones who didn't obey. So, you and I to go forward in this crazy world, it is imperative. Just keep doing what the Lord tells you to do. Stay obedient and that protects you to a certain degree from the wrath of man, if that makes sense. Let's continue on. Verse 8. And all of these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. So this is Moses tearing Pharaoh. He's going to say, Look, here's what's going to happen. Your own officials won't agree with you. They will understand what's going on. Your people will understand what's going on. But you're going to be the one who's bullheaded in all of this and still doesn't get it. But I'm telling you, your officials will turn on you. And they do, by the way. Pharaoh's left with this, 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 these crazy notions that, he, that he's going to keep his anti-Semitic rage and wipe out every Jew. Anyway, he's going to find a, 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 the, the answer to, to that. Let me give you a parallel of this principle. This is amazing. It works itself out in life, too. I find in organizations that the top of the organization is corrupted, but then the other people un- below them that work in the organization know that these people are corrupted. They're all messed up. And you'll be at a company, and you say, man, the bosses and, and the, that group up there are nuts, and I work for a bunch of nuts. And that's how it will be a lot of times. I've had many of you tell me that, that you work for nuts, and you're like, I don't know how to deal with this, man, because they, I mean, they're crazy. I get it. It's what's happening to Pharaoh. And I want you to see that. And a recent example happened this week that I'll bring to mind. You've been watching the ongoing fight with L.A. County with John MacArthur's church. And they've been trying to shut him down because he's having services like we are. And um, they've been trying to shut him down, the health department, everything. It's been four times judges have ruled in his favor But the L.A. County won't stop. So the L.A. County Health Department started targeting John. This is funny. The L.A. County top echelon of of the county is crazy. They are globalist, elitist, leftist, nuts. Okay? So they're going to go down and shut down John MacArthur. So they're going to do their best saying, you're violating health codes and all this other stuff. So this is funny. The people they send to do their dirty work are the, are the other people below them, okay? They don't realize that they sent out two people to, to John MacArthur's church who were Christians. Duh. That's the, that's the problem with them. So the, the people they sent out to, to go to John MacArthur's church was for John MacArthur, and they didn't do anything, right? Isn't that funny? These, these crazy elites, they can't, they can't thwart God. They just can't. 
And so they do nothing, and, and it, everybody had a good time, and everything was great. And what these elites don't understand, and the news report reported this, is that the majority of the L.A. County officials that work for the L.A. County are in support of the church's meeting, but it's the higher echelon that doesn't get it. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's, that's Pharaoh. That's Pharaoh. Even his own officials say, dude, give up the ghost. He's, it's killing us. He doesn't get it. And what you're going to encounter in the days ahead is situations like that. You know what the media tries to portray to you and I? That everybody's like them. That the whole society of America has changed and, and Hollywood's telling you this, the entertainment's telling you this, that, you know, we're moving in a new world order, a new direction, and we accept all this crazy stuff. I saw this in, 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 uh, in Europe, and I can't remember off the top of my head what country it is. I don't know, it's Finland, Sweden, one of those places like that. The crazy Christians that are apostate have now made a, a book uh, like a children's book about Jesus, but it's hermaphrodite Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And so Jesus has a beard, but he has a female body. And, and, and these apostates were questioned, why did you make Jesus like that? Well, we want to make Jesus into the image of what other people want. Oh, you're creating a God in your own image. Is that what you're doing? Oh, doesn't work like that. And so they're blaspheming the Messiah in these countries. And they think it's all cool. They defend it. And that's what we're seeing all over the place. They're defending this stuff. And, but yet the majority of people in America don't support it. People are saying, that doesn't represent me. But it's because the elite have their positions and their power and their money from George Soros. And that's where they're, why they're doing the things they're doing. And you think we're, we're like the only ones left. Right? We, we, but we're not. People don't think like that. They're, you're made, the media's making you think like that. That you're alone. Anyway, let's continue on. And here's where the application comes. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. Let's talk about Moses. That's what I want to capitalize on. I'm going to make the application just a bit. Let's read the rest of the text and watch what happens. So he leaves in great anger. I'll explain where the anger is coming from. But the Lord said to Moses, so the Lord's going to calm him down. Okay? Watch how the Lord calms him down. Pharaoh will not heed you. Now, this is like, I don't know how many times God's told Moses, but he's telling him again. He ha- he's not going to listen to you. I told you that at the burning bush. And, but, but here's the reason, Moses, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Basically, it's an evangelism purpose. It's, 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 it's to tell the whole world of the power of God. And this last plague will tell the whole world who has the power of life and death. The power of life and death is God. Jesus says he holds the keys of Hades and death, right? Not anyone else. And because of that, God is showing to this last plague, he is the true author of life. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, again, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is to give Pharaoh strength to carry out what he wants to do, to let him go for it, to grease the skids. And he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And so the warning happens, nope. 
And so now the death penalty is going to be issued the next day. Well, here's the thing, the application. Why is Moses so angry when he already knows he's going to react like that? And I think you have to understand the heart of Moses. It's not like he's taking joy in the death of the wicked. It's not like he's saying, God, get him, strike lightning on him and and kill them all. He's not doing that. Moses is upset because Pharaoh keeps rejecting the grace and mercy of God. And it's now ran out. The line has been crossed, and he is not only going to cause death for, for uh, the, you know, the people of, uh, uh, of the nation, the firstborn, it's going to collapse their whole society. Because in history, what we know is that after this collapse happens, the Hyksos come in and actually take over Egypt. They are non-Egyptians, Semitic people, the Hyksos, coming from the Assyrian area, that actually take over Egypt. They're, they're, they're totally taken over because all of the Egypt's armies is gone, but most of the people are dead, and there's nothing left. So Moses knows that the insolence, the stubbornness, is going to destroy Egypt. And he's grieved over the people that he's going to kill because of this. He's grieved over Pharaoh not not repenting. And and that's the uh, what we call a righteous indignation. That anger is okay. That's okay to be righteously indignant toward what's happening. I want you to think about you're getting more and more angry because you, you guys tell me you're getting angrier. You're getting angry at your job. I'm getting angry. I have to unplug a lot of times from the news because I can't hardly watch it anymore because it's just so crazy. You know, and, and so how do we handle this anger? Because God calmed Moses down. And he calmed him down with the truth and helped Moses to process what's happening. Look, I told you, Moses, he's not going to listen. And then he says, I'm doing this for a reason. And the same thing can be told to us. You and I are getting mad about what's happening. What, if, if God was to speak to you on a park bench, here's what he would say. Didn't I not tell you it would get bad? Did I not tell you? I warned you it would get bad. Didn't I? I told you about the, how they end, the last days end. So this is my program. You should see that I'm working. And you should interpret what's happening as God's plan is unfolding. He is, he's in total control of the situation. These people are not in control. And so at the same time, that balances back, okay, then what should I be doing? And that's what Moses is going to do. He's going to go back and do exactly what he's going to do. He's going to follow the orders to to do the Passover because that's his orders. The same thing applies to you and I. We are to carry out our orders. So I know it's getting bad, but what am I supposed to do? Do what God called you to do. Now, let me give you a chart. Let me show you this chart real quick so you can help understand what I'm talking about. And this chart is, there's four categories, and this is how, how people handle anger and how they handle the upsetting events that happen in their life, okay? So let me go through this. In that first category, you see passive, and then in the second category, you see improve. Then you have on the other side, accept and then reject. So when you put those together in categories, these are how people tend to handle their anger about what's happening in their lives. So the first one, let's take the passive. You go down to the first column, and you have what's called the hippie. Now, the hippie type of person is, they accept reality, man, it's bad. But the hippie does nothing about it. He's just a hippie. 
He accepts what's happening, but he won't do anything. So a lot of Christians are like that. They know what's happening, but they're still sitting on the fence and doing nothing about it. Okay? Then if you move down, you still have a passive person, but if they reject reality, this is not happening. These things are going to get better. It's not, you know, it's not going to always be like this. That person is, is rejecting reality, but because they're passive, they will become an addict. Every addict is stuck in that box because they're mad about that reality. They're mad about what happened in their life. They're mad at the way things are going. So they reject it. And because they're passive, they turn to addiction to solve their problems, to ease their pain of how bad things are getting. Let's move to the next category. The spiritual healthy people accept reality as it is. It's bad. It's getting bad. They totally understand it, but they seek to improve the situation. And they seek to improve it by practicing the spiritual disciplines and the call that Lord, the Lord gave us. The Great Commission, become conformed to the image of Christ, be a watcher on the wall, warn people, do everything you're supposed to be doing to be salt and light. That person is a very spiritually healthy people person. They accept reality, but they keep doing their task. If you move to the unhealthy part, what we call unhealthy ambition, these people want to improve, but they reject reality. So guess what? They become unhealthy in their ambition. What do I mean by that? There's a difference between ambition and aspiration. Unhealthy ambition means this, that they will try to achieve for themselves, for their sakes and only their sakes, to distinguish themselves above all others, okay? That's unhealthy ambition. They're doing this to get above everyone else, to get above the situation. They're trying to find a safe place. And maybe that safe place for them is to make a lot of money and be above all of this. Make so much money that I have a year's supply of food or make so much money that I can live independently financially or whatever it might be. And what happens is they become unhealthy because they're not doing the the spiritual things they need to be doing. They're only doing things that serve themselves because they don't like it. They don't like the way their world is becoming. And so they become uh, ambitious to find a safe place. Question, is there any safe place on this earth other than Jesus Christ? No, you're not going to find safety in money and in trying to get above it all or a safe place, so to speak. It's through Jesus. When you're in the middle of a storm, the safest place to be is out there in the storm with the Lord. You remember that? It's not on the boat. The boat is not safety. It's to get out there, start walking on the water and be with the Lord right in the midst of the storm and cling to him. That's the safest place we can be, right? Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.